the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Oh, yeah, he's all that and so much more, some of which probably shouldn't be said in public. I'd embarrass myself, you know, crazy people, crazy people. At any rate, <laughs> welcome to the Tuesday edition of Lifeline. Off to a very odd start. You say, I've listened for years. Every day is off to an odd start. I know. We've got a great show lined up for you today. A little bit later on, we're going to be joined by Bob Zadek, host of the nationally syndicated Bob Zadek program. We're going to talk a bit about uh, not just the recent Master Peak cake decision, but now the hubbub over the little red hen. If you're not familiar with the story, we'll get you up to speed and uh, discuss the ins and outs of that coming up later on in tonight's program. Also, we got lots of tickets to give away, Alameda County Fair tickets. Also, the um, great gospel music show coming to the Bay Area to mark the 50th anniversary of the release of Edwin Hawkins' Oh Happy Day. Recorded, yes, indeed, recorded right here in the Bay Area at Ephesians Church of God in Berkeley way back in uh, 1968, 69. And, of course, by 1969, it was number four on the U.S. singles charts. And as we mark the 50th anniversary, a very special cavalcade of gospel stars will be in town for a very special event that you're going to potentially win tickets to coming up this Friday. We'll get to all that a little bit later on in tonight's program. Of course, traffic every 10 minutes to get you home safe and sound as we lead off tonight's program. You may recall testimony on Capitol Hill by Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. And we know certainly there have been growing concerns over data privacy, what Facebook does with the information that they collect on us, etc., etc. And if that wasn't disturbing enough, here's another major alarming trend. And parents, I want you to listen and listen closely. As much as we can be concerned about the influence of drugs, for example, on children, I think as parents, we're always worried about uh, premarital sex, possible pregnancy, things of this sort. That's all important and valid things to be worried about. But now the big looming problem that I think, I hope, more and more parents are becoming aware of, and that is what's happening in the digital arena and the potential threat there to your child's well-being. But how do you discuss this? I mean, if you're a parent, you're uncomfortable with the technology to begin with, and you're trying to relate to a teenager who knows more about it than you do and yet isn't mature enough to be able to differentiate between what true relationships are and having 500 friends on Facebook may be, well, that's a challenge. Getting the conversation started, that is, in fact, the focus of a brand-new DVD that has just been newly released by my first guest tonight. You'll know him, certainly, for his memorable roles on ABC's Growing Pains, the Left Behind movie series, and, of course, most recently, as co-host of The Way of the Master television series. He is Kirk Cameron. He and his wife, Chelsea, founders of Camp Firefly, a camp for seriously ill children and their families, and now his latest work, a new project called Kirk Cameron Connect. And, Kirk, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Great to be on your show. You I'm, are, in I'm, fact, the father of six kids, so I would imagine this has been even a reality around the Cameron household as kids are pulled into Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all of this trying to figure out how do we set limits and, most importantly, how do we deal with the after effects, the emotional impact of social media and the the havoc that it's creating. Well, you're exactly right, and thank you for having me on the program. I've been learning so much as a father of six kids. Um, I've uh, really been s- sort of submerged into a crash course on the effect that social media and technology is having on teenagers because we have six kids ourselves. All of them are teenagers at the same time, and. Um, and so I decided that uh, I really needed to get my, my whole heart and, and mind and arms around the subject 
because I want what's best for my kids. And I had a chance to make this documentary called Connect, uh, Real Help for Parenting Kids in a Social Media World. And I interviewed a whole, uh, a whole host of experts from psychologists to family counselors, uh, a neuroscientist to a technology expert, along with my own pastor. And uh, I learned amazing things uh, that have really helped me and then allowed me to uh, help others with parenting their kids and connecting with their kids over this very important issue of social media and technology. I recall, Kirk, about oh, six, seven years ago now when uh, texting was really just kind of becoming all the rage, sitting at a birthday party at the home of some friends. One of the kids in the family was celebrating a birthday, and there were a number of us gathered there in the backyard. And uh, I, I had a couple of teenagers on either side of me that were wildly ignoring everything else going on and uh, concentrating 110% on their cell phones. And and after a while, I leaned over just out of curiosity. So what's uh, what you doing? You on the Internet? What you no, I'm, a, I'm texting a friend of mine. It turns out that he was texting the girl sitting on the opposite side of me. <laughs> I thought, you can't even, you're sitting here in the same space and you can't even engage with each other in a normal human relationship fashion. And I have to wonder if that isn't at the core a big part of what's happening with modern technology. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great story. And it's so common. All of us, I think, who are listening to you say that can, can relate to it. And then we get even more concerned when we see it happening with our own kids around our own dinner table or people texting one another in the car from the back seat to the front seat <laughs> without actually talking to each other. So, you know, uh, I am uh, burdened, as every parent is, with wanting to um, help my kids use technology for good rather than uh, using it for, for evil. And, you know, one of the techniques that uh, some people might entertain is, well, I'll just get rid of technology altogether and tell my kids they can't have a smartphone. Well, you could try to do that. But, uh, you know, unless your kids live in a cave, they've got friends who have phones who may not share the same values that you do. And it appears that kids are going to be exposed to things and the opportunities to access things that you might not want them to access. And so there is nothing more important than you being the one to coach and guide and train your kids to be able to navigate technology and develop healthy habits with social media because I don't think it's going away. And that's why I made Connect, so that you can connect with your kids, your preteens, your teenagers, and instead of either sort of putting our heads in the sand uh, or getting angry about it and taking a hammer to every cell phone you see uh, in the hands of your kids, learning how to be fully present and engage with them. Uh, and that's what Connect will help you to do so that you can preserve a relationship with your teenagers while helping them to use technology and become champions and victors rather than victims. There, there's another aspect this, to this, too. Uh, it is perhaps the the deeper, darker, more insidious side, that while it's laudable for parents that want the kids to be a little bit more um, interracially normal uh, and, and be able to, to relationally connect with people face-to-face -face as opposed to always uh, on the digital level, when you and I were kids, Kurt, uh, bullies, bullies have always been around. Bullies uh, would maybe harass you on the campus, on the playground, in school, but right. you could go home and you could disconnect. You could get away from the bullies. Today, they follow you home through social media, through Facebook, and the level at which they're able to sometimes impact a child who is challenged or struggling with all of this gets down to issues of anxiety, depression, and sometimes even suicide. Yeah, that's right. They, 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 th there's a world that our kids are creating for themselves through technology and social media that they can't get away from, uh, or they choose not to get away from it. You know, it, it, it's crazy. It's like if you don't respond to somebody's text, uh, that's a silent signal that uh, you, you don't like them or you're disrespecting them. It's, it, it's, it's getting crazy. And what I find uh, so ironic about all this is that there are videos that you can just search on the Internet and listen to some of the original designers of Facebook and, and other uh, social media platforms like Instagram and Snapchat who will tell you that 
they believe that they've created a bit of a monster that they don't know how to put back into the cage. Uh, one even said, God only knows what this is doing to the brains of our children, and they themselves uh, don't use it because they don't want them and their family to be influenced by uh, the bad sides of this kind of technology. Yet, <laughs> so many of us have it right in our own homes. So, you know, my message here is not that technology is bad. I think technology is good. I'm sure there were those who decried the advancement of technology that produced the automobile or that produced the telephone or the television uh, or radio like we're on right now. But technology is not inherently evil. It can be used for great good. And that's what we're trying to do through radio and television and even through the Internet. And we want to teach our kids that uh, integrity, character, identity, virtue and faith is is what allows us to use technology in a positive way rather than a negative way. And through Connect, uh, if you watch that with your teenagers, it'll open up a conversation about these things so that you can not only learn more about technology together with your kids, but learn about your kids. And your kids can learn about your sincere uh, concerns for them and the desire you have to see them succeed and work on it together and, uh, and, and succeed together. That, that's why I made this movie. And ultimately learning to establish boundaries, learning how to use this as a tool. We're not suggesting for a moment, parents, that uh, technology or the Internet or social media is evil, but it can be used for evil if it isn't used properly. Kirk, you mentioned, for example, uh, automobiles. Uh, no parent would think of sending their child at 16 uh, into a car with a set of keys and saying, good luck and I hope you make it home safe without having gone through driving driver's training school, making sure that they're properly licensed, they're properly insured, know the rules of the road, right? All of it is there to do what? To properly instruct your child so that they know how to use the tool called an automobile. I think it's the same idea here. It's helping you as a parent learn, number one, more about the technology than, than perhaps you understand now, and then secondarily, discover how to engage your child in conversation and to be able to talk about where the boundaries are and, and sort of an instruction manual, manual, in a sense, of how to harness the power of the tool without getting hurt by it. Now, this is available, as we said, just made... Uh, gone public here first part of June and Kirk can they order it directly online through connectmovie.com yeah you can do that or you can just uh, take a drive down to Walmart or if you like to watch it uh, uh, digitally if you want to stream it you can go to iTunes you can get it on Amazon you can uh, get it on demand uh, you can also go to connectmovie.com and see all of those options and more if you would like to watch Connect. All right. And, you know, this is something that I think uh, parents with kids of any age, uh, whether they're just getting any, you know, listen, these days a four-year-old knows more about it than most of us, right? But but at any age, to be able to, to get this dialogue going is critically important. And I would urge parents, the sooner that you do it, certainly the better. More information, as Kirk Cameron just mentioned, online at connectmovie.com. That's Connect movie.com this new project newly released by kirk cameron and available at a number of retail outlets as he mentioned as well as details available online connectmovie.com kirk cameron thanks so much for the time and uh, we wish you much continued success with this very timely and important project well thank you my friend i appreciate you having me on the show and uh you're doing important work uh Keep it up. All right. You take care. Kurt Cameron with us today on this segment of Lifeline. All right. San Francisco Bay Area traffic. we got plenty of that to go around, don't we? Let's see what's going on. The latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael Bennett with an update. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. And boy, what a difference three weeks can make. It is notable, perhaps, that just 21 days after the Supreme Court ruling in the Masterpiece Cake case, recall that, baker in Colorado who refused to bake a cake for a gay wedding based on moral grounds. Well, suddenly now we're looking at the Red Heading case. Uh, more recently here in the last couple of days, the situation a restaurateur who refused to serve a meal to a White House staff member based on what they say are moral grounds. Conservatives certainly see one act as wrong, the other as moral right. Liberals see it just the opposite. Perhaps right down the middle lies the real truth. It is challenging when we try to 
take our opinions and now overlay them or our moral beliefs on what is essentially free trade? And is it really truly free if we put a lot of restrictions in place? Or should merchants not have the ability to be able to decide from case to case whom they wish to do business with? Many cases where we've seen the sign, no shirt, no shoes, no service, or we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. If that be the case, then what's all the noise really about? Well, some insights we've invited nationally syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek to join us. Bob, of course, is the host of The Bob Zadek Show. Heard Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. on our sister station here in the Bay Area, 8.60 a.m., The Answer. He's also the author of the best-selling book, Secret Sauce, the founder's original recipe for limited American democracy. And, Bob, as always, a delight and an education to have you join us. Thank you very much, Craig. Glad to join you again. Let's uh, kind of walk through this. Um, First off, to the greatest degree, we are in a free market economy. And as such... Hold it, hold it, hold it. No, whoa, Craig whoa. says who, but go ahead. All right. Says well. <laughs> who, but go ahead. Okay. We, ostensibly speaking, are in a free market economy when essentially we not only have the right to decide from whom we buy, but also, I would suppose, from whom we sell to, at least traditionally, or maybe ideally that's the way it ought to work. Although, as we're learning from first the Masterpiece Cake case, and now most recently from the Red Hen situation, that isn't necessarily the case. Tell us what's going on here. Oh, my goodness, Craig, we have to take over the network at force and commandeer the station, commandeer all the control buttons and spend uh, the next 45 or 60 days, 24-7, to discuss the issue. But believe it or not, I think we can do it in a couple of minutes. We start with the principle that you enunciated. Uh, People are free to trade with, to do business with, to interact with whomever they wish. Uh, that is an essential freedom. The First Amendment gives us, uh, provides for freedom of association. Now, just to nail down the issue a little bit, freedom of association is uh, means without interference by government. That is, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, as we all know, is basically a document, a founding document, which establishes the relationship between citizens on the one hand and government on the other. It doesn't regulate very much at all about the relationship among citizens. So we start with the core premise, people can interact with and do business with whomever they wish, unless there is a law to the contrary and laws have to uh, pass the statutory test. And that's the way it was in our country for uh, up until... uh, perhaps 1964 when the first Civil Rights Act was passed. As we all know, state laws in the South uh, prohibited uh, or allowed uh, or prohibited blacks from patronizing stores that were white only. It prohibited under by statute the interaction between blacks and whites, and that was a creature of state law. Well, in the, during the Civil Rights uh, era, the era when there was the Great Awakening in this country, uh, Congress decided uh, to enact legislation that made it, that federalized the principle that while in general, in general, one could trade with whomever one wished. However, if you chose not to trade with somebody because of their race, and there were other characteristics, race, national origins, disability, sex, and stuff like that. If that was the reason you chose not to do business with somebody, well, that became against the law. So for the first time, we have a statute that says you are not free to do business with who who you wish. There are limitations. However, that statute only regulated what was called public accommodations, restaurants, hotels, things of that nature. It didn't regulate. So an accountant was, of course, or a dentist was free to discriminate based upon color, for example. So the rule was public accommodations. Now, public accommodations kept on getting expanded, and the, the 
the characteristics of the person you were discriminating against kept on getting larger and larger. So now we have a pretty broad, large number of classifications against people who you cannot discriminate if you are selling public accommodations. In the Masterpiece Baker's case, it was found that... Now, then we have state laws. And in, I believe, Colorado, uh, there was a state law that prohibited bakers, uh, that legislated that bakers fall within the classification of public accommodations. Therefore, as a matter of Colorado state law, uh, bakers could not discriminate on the basis of uh, sexual preference, whatever the words of the statute were. And that was how the Masterpiece Bakers came uh, before the Supreme Court. Now, what was the issue in the Supreme Court case? Well, the Supreme Court had to decide whether the bakers, which were exercising their religious beliefs, and there is, of course, a constitutional protection that says states or no government can interfere with, I'm summarizing, the practice of religion. So we have the First Amendment protecting the practice of religion crashing into anti-discrimination laws. So what prevailed? The Supreme Court kind of punted, and it didn't decide the issue square on. But in Masterpiece Bakers, the Supreme Court said that the process by which Masterpiece Bakers was found to have violated state law was flawed, that the State Civil Rights Commission had a clear animus against religion and a bias against religion, and that tainted their judgment. And the Supreme Court said it was the very nature of that animus that made the Masterpiece Bakers prevail. So the Supreme Court didn't really decide what prevails, practice of religion versus not wanting to, versus free from discrimination based on sexual preference. That's all background. But we still have the general principle of public accommodations. Now, along comes the the Red Hen case. Sarah uh, Huckabee Sanders, the president's press secretary, and public face of the administration um, was trying to have dinner in a red, the Red Hen, a restaurant, I believe, in Virginia. And the owner of the restaurant said, I don't want to serve you. You're, you're a Trumpster. Go away. We're not going to serve you. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders left. Well, but she told, she announced publicly that's what happened. Well, the media took off, obviously became a feeding frenzy for the media. And uh, there was an ugly aftermath, aftermath like, for example, the red the red hen was hounded by those people who favor Donald Trump uh, Another restaurant with the same name but a different restaurant got egged because people thought that was a bad restaurant. Uh, There was criticism, and thus the debate right now. And, Craig, you raise the interesting question. And the question you raised in your introduction to this discussion was, what is is there a difference between Masterpiece Bakers choosing not to bake a wedding cake for a homosexual, for a gay couple, because they didn't want to support a religious ceremony they didn't believe in or felt was a sin, is there a difference between that and Sarah Huckabee Sanders being denied food, no room at the inn, if you will, being denied food by the owners of the Red Hen? And that's the conversation which the public is now having, often in an ugly way, because it basically is Trumpistas against progressives, libertarians against those people who want to restrict speech. But that is the public debate, a very interesting debate for the public. Now, Craig, with that introduction, my question to you is, what do you think, and I'm asking you, Craig, as the surrogate for all of your listeners out there, what do you think all the fuss is about. Clearly, the restaurant had the right not to serve Sarah Huckabee Sanders. They could have not served her for anyone a number of reasons, and they exercised that right. Sarah Huckabee Sanders had plenty of other places to eat. It wasn't that she was going to go hungry. So why do you imagine it's a big deal? Because most of the public has very strong feelings about that. And I wonder, what's the issue? Or is there an issue? Well, and, and, and I think it's a very valid question, because at the core, there seems to be now they're, they're sort of shifting some of the debate to, well, it's a question of civility. And certainly civility is a very lofty ideal, but at the end of the day, maybe the right to choose or freedom is an even more lofty ideal. I, I find it 
interesting to note here that some are trying to differentiate between moral versus political or religious versus ideological. At the end of the day, perhaps both are based in a belief system, and one might conclude that if that be the case, then both of the merchants had a right to deny service. I find it interesting. Well, and let me let me kind of turn it turn it back. Um, we would look at a business like Chick-fil-A, not to pick on Chick-fil-A, they've done nothing wrong, but Chick-fil-A as a merchant whose owners are Christians have decided that they do not wish to serve meals on Sunday. Now, I would pose the question to those that are upset about the red hen, is there a difference between what the action taken by Stephanie Wilkinson, who said, I don't believe in the positions that the administration stands for on moral grounds, and therefore I choose not to serve the press secretary of the Trump administration. Is there a difference between that based on a moral uh, imperative or a moral conclusion? Is there a difference between that and Chick-fil-A, who says, based on our religious or moral beliefs, we don't believe that we should be working on Sunday. Our employees shouldn't be working on Sunday. It's God's day. It's a day of rest, and therefore, we are not going to serve you. Are they not discriminating, in a sense, against every individual who really wants a chicken sandwich on Sunday but can't buy one? There does seem to be a little bit of double-mindedness here. Uh, Actually, I agree with you, and implicit in what you posed with your hypothetical, or not your your fact describing the business practices of Chick-fil-A, is I believe, of course, as you know and as our listeners probably know, I believe every merchant ought to be free to serve or refuse to serve anybody. And in fact, further, going back to the very ugly period in the South in the 60s and before, it was it's clear to most people that even without civil that the civil rights legislation uh, could have crim, could have voided all of the Jim Crow laws in the South. So a restaurant would be free to discriminate if they chose to do so, but they didn't have the benefit of a statute protecting them. Now, if that if we did the slower approach of allowing the marketplace to control, does anybody doubt that if Woolworth, there were Woolworths that there were lunch counters was the site of sit outs, the sit ins rather, does anybody not believe that if if Woolworth not being protected by Jim Crow legislation simply had a whites only practice that Woolworth would have shortly gone out of business, or rather, it would have quietly changed its practices to accommodate the market. And if that, if the marketplace would have been allowed to, if you will, integrate by force of the market, there would be so much less tension because it would be the marketplace, not federal troops, which caused all of the 20 years plus of violence in the South reacting to federal troops. So I have such profound faith in the marketplace ultimately doing right. It might take a little bit longer, but at least it's it's freedom trumping uh, bad practices, not policemen carrying guns. And that is my worldview. And therefore, uh, in the Red Hen case, uh, I say to myself, Probably a pretty dumb, dumb business practice, but maybe not. The market would have told us. But certainly, Wilkinson, the owner of the Red Hen, was free to do so as the masterpiece bakers were free to choose who they're going to make a cake for. I, I have such, uh, I have such belief and faith in freedom and the free market. Uh, reaching the right conclusion, uh, I wince at any governmental intrusion. Well, and, you know, it, it is a, an intrusion that is attempting to correct, if you will, behavior, but at the end of the day is is very difficult to modify. And that isn't to suggest at all that uh, Woolworths in the South in the 50s and 60s uh, was, was doing a good thing by discriminating. But at the same token, as we're seeing in this debate here, uh, as we try to sort of, you know, apply one size fits all for everybody – 
Some people are outraged by the outcome of the Supreme Court decision regarding a master uh, masterpiece cake shop, and others are outraged, on the other hand, by Red Hen for entirely different reasons based on all the same principle. I think maybe the difficult thing here, and I'd like to have you um, elaborate on this, Bob, I think the difficult thing here is that as we look at these matters in a the context of a free society where we have the ability to choose that sometimes the choices that we make as free people will not always be pleasant ones. Others might not always think that they are the right choices or uh, the choices that are being made that we don't necessarily agree with, but they are free choices nevertheless. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you that at the end of the day, the marketplace generally has a pretty good way of, um, how should we say, bringing about parity or being that that great grand equalizer that if people looked at this and said, you know what, we think it's a terrible and despicable thing that uh, Stephanie uh, Wilkinson did at the Red Head and we're going to protest, we're going to uh, stop patronizing that restaurant and put them out of business, and that's how the majority goes, some might say that's a good thing. Some, like me, would say that's a good thing. If Wilkinson chose to publicly, and she did so quite publicly, I should add, so she wanted the world to know what she had done. If she made, believe, whether she did or not consciously, she made a market decision. What Either what was best for business, or she didn't care if she went out of business. I don't care what her decision was. She made a decision. And she calculated the risks or acted impulsively, who knows. But she made an uncoerced decision. Sarah Huckabee Sanders made an uncoerced decision to leave. And now the market will punish who the market chooses to punish. The The issue is everything was decided uncoerced. And it was a bunch of actors in the public making independent decisions, whether to patronize Masterpiece Bakers, whether to patronize or not the Red Hen. People are making the decision. And, you know, if I learned that a restaurant that I would patronize had a shameful discriminatory practice, assuming it was legal, I would, of course, not patronize that restaurant. And every time I didn't patronize, I would feel good because I have made, I have voted with my pocketbook in a way to express my personal displeasure at the restaurant by not giving him my money. I don't want to be denied that feeling, that good feeling I get as a public actor. I want to be able to punish those people in the market, punish with my feet and with my wallet those people. Uh, actors in the marketplace who do things of which I disapprove, and I want to be able to reward those people who do things that I approve of. If I learn that a restaurant is donating 5% of their profits to homeless people or immigrants or whatever, it would be my pleasure to patronize them. I would feel good every time I paid a check. I don't want to be denied that feeling of my voluntarily voting with my wallet and my feet to support those restaurants whose moral compass is the same as mine. And in a free society, isn't it preferable that we allow society to make that decision as opposed to having an opinion forced upon us by government? At the end of the day, you know, the old adage, you can vote with your feet. You've got the power to boycott or you have the power to patronize based on what that merchant does. And and at that level, Robert, I concur with you. There is a restaurant chain. I won't mention who they are, but they're famous for their breakfasts. Now I've almost given it away. Who's had a reputation of not only being fairly nasty and discriminatory toward African Americans, but also has had a pretty nasty and discriminatory approach to dealing with peace officers coming in to eat. And you know what? I won't eat at their restaurants for those two reasons. And I feel good about that choice. And you shouldn't be denied that. Look, we cherish the right to vote, don't we? Well, in a free market, we get to vote 
Every time we take out a piece of plastic called a credit card, we get to vote which be, which types of behavior we support and which types we don't support. I don't want to be deprived of my vote of 10 and 15 times a day to express my support or displeasure with people who behave in a way that I don't approve. And the free market allows us to vote every time we touch our wallet. And we shouldn't be denied that. And what's most important, Greg, is when people vote with their dollars, when people vote through the marketplace, it is peaceful. There are no guns. There are simply people making private decisions based upon their moral compass without violence. The, re- the store which misbehaves, I guarantee you, will close just as if it was firebombed, but it will close quietly and peacefully because it will have lost the the pleasure of the public dining there. And that's the way uh, morality should be built, through uh, peaceful voting with your wallet and with your feet. Now, here is the uh, perhaps $64,000 question, as they say, Bob, and that's, are there exceptions? For example, uh, when it comes to a restaurant, listen, if you don't like the way the restaurant treats people, easy. Don't eat there. Go patronize another restaurant. There are hundreds in town. That's an easy decision. But what about in the case of, for example, housing discrimination? If you have a landlord who suddenly decides, well, I don't want to rent my apartment, my home uh, to a particular profile. Do there need to be certain limits set in order to make sure that we're protecting people? Probably, probably not. Now, um, that's going to enrage a lot of people. Oh, yes. <laughs> I will point out that the most discriminatory landlord we have ever seen in American history has been government. Uh, some of our listeners are as old as you and I, or at least as old as I am, and may remember public housing, may remember what used to be called when I was growing up, the projects, may remember Cabrini Green in Chicago, Chicago yeah. this, in effect, inner city warehouse, blacks only. Who was the landlord? The federal government. So in the issue of discrimination, the, the landlord who built the most restrictive discriminatory blacks only or white only housing was the federal government. The government, state and local governments, did the same thing through zoning. So I think history will show us that when people live where they choose, some people will choose to live among others who are the same, whether it's religious, age, children versus not children, black, white, gay, straight, Many people like to live with others who act and look the same way. You have the freedom to do that. So long as, and if a, if a landlord discriminates, I dare say that landlord will in no time find itself on the short end of the marketplace. People will not choose to live there for that reason. And when, when they discover it, they will leave. Look, when there is housing right now, let us assume we have a community that is mostly something. Whether it's East Indian, Pakistani, Japanese, there is a community, and there are so many where, by a voluntary action, the same type of people tend to live there. Is that bad or good? People who live there live there by choice because they want to live with other people who have characteristics the same as them. Other people say, no, I'd much rather live in a diverse community because it's more fun and more interesting. So just living with other people of the same type, whatever that type is, age, sex, children, no children, it doesn't matter. If you choose to live that way, that's benign. People are free to do that. There's nothing wrong with the same type people all living together if that's what they want. And some landlords, some landlords say, uh, this is a senior senior housing, no children allowed because children are noisy and messy and they make noise at night and blah blah. blah. And people live in communities with no children. Craig, that's discriminatory. That's kind of unfair if you have a family with young children who love to live there, but they're not allowed. But nobody seems to care. So discrimination is not is a neutral word, not bad nor good. 
And so in the discussion about discrimination, it's very hard to have the conversation without it getting terribly loaded. But there is senior housing when you can't, you're not allowed to live there if you're young, and that's discrimination against people with kids, but nobody seems to care. And it's a little hard to make a distinction between discrimination that's okay and discrimination that's not okay. And the challenge, of course, is at the end of the day, much of this is based on um, moral decisions. And if an individual is behaving, a landlord, in a discriminatory fashion, uh, there there is a societal question there. There is a moral question there, to be sure. And we have a right to engage in protest, to, to do the boycotting, as we've seen, that is oftentimes extremely effective. So it's a matter of, at the end of the day, do we, in the bigger picture here, value more our choices and freedoms or the issue of civility? And being civil is a good thing in polite society, and I wish we had a lot more of it. But if we try to simply legislate to control the atmosphere, the environment, to create a false civility, and in the process, lose our freedom, then is there not ultimately, Bob, in your opinion, even more at stake? Craig, every human being, especially your listeners, who in general behave being guided by a very strong moral compass, I think that's fair to say, everybody has the values in their head that they rank kind of in order. And to me, uh, other people may, of course, and do differ, but I value freedom. I value freedom first and foremost. Freedom for me to behave the way I want so long as I do not harm the person or the property of another. But with that caveat, I have I, I have the right simply because I of my humanness. I have the right to do whatever I want in the world so long as my exercise of that right does not compromise somebody else's right to be unharmed and to have their property protected. That's my that's my pr- prime moral compass. And, and so that- and at the end of the day, Bob, the, the issue comes down to the matter of ex- exercising free choice or free will. And it's certainly to contextualize this um, for listeners, uh, we certainly believe and understand from a theological standpoint, from a scriptural standpoint, that God allows us free will with the caveat that there are consequences if we make the wrong choices. And so, for example, in the case of the Red Hen restaurant, if you are of the opinion that that was a morally uh, abhorrent thing to do in essentially refusing to serve the press secretary and that people can then in return um, exercise their freedom to basically boycott the restaurant – and she loses business or goes out of business, that the consequences of her exercising her free will may potentially be losing her business, and hopefully she weighed that as a possibility when she decided to kick the press secretary out of her establishment. And so at the end, I know sometimes people say, and I want to be clear, that Bob and I are not suggesting people want to go out and discriminate. We're not saying that at all. What we're saying is that at the end of the day, Choices matter, and choices have consequences, and hopefully we are, as we are exercising our freedom, being mindful of those consequences, not only in terms of the potential impact on ourselves, but most certainly, in polite company, the potential impact on others. Bob Zadek, host of The Bob Zadek Show. Bob's program, of course, is great engagement in dealing with these kinds of of, of oftentimes challenging questions that cause us to dig down deep and ask the tough questions and get uncomfortable and hopefully reason through. He does that every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. If you're tired of the crazy talking heads on uh, TV and you want to hear some uh, thoughtful discussion, Bob and his guests certainly bring you that every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. 
the answer. More information about Bob online, and you can also take advantage of a um, great repository of lots of past programs, as well as get information about his book, Secret Sauce, the Founder's Original Recipe for Limited American Democracy, available at bobzadek.com. That's bobzadek.com. Bob, thanks for the time. All right, we're way late, but we thought it was important to get through that uh, without interruption. So uh, having done that, we're next going to do this. This is a look at traffic. Michael Bennett's got the update. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, the inclination is to just let it roll. I mean, you, you can't help. But uh, but feel happy and feel a connection to the Lord when you hear that song. Amazingly, uh, the Edwin Hawkins singers recorded that clear back in the late 1960s. In fact, right here locally at Ephesians Church of God in Berkeley. And by 1969, that recording was number four on the U.S. single charts. And by 1970, Edwin Hawkins, who had just passed away last year, uh, received a Grammy for that particular recording. Well, celebrating the 50th anniversary of that particular song, there's going to be a gathering of some of the best and brightest in show business and gospel music today taking place right here in the Bay Area, Friday, June the 29th from 7 to 9 p.m. at St. Brendan's Church. That's at 29 Rockaway Avenue in San Francisco. And to tell us all about Narada's great gospel show, the man himself, multi-platinum Grammy and Emmy Award winning producer, musician, recording artist, and producer of this event, Narada Michael Walden. Great to have you on the show. Wow, brother. It's so nice to be here with you. It was laid out just so nicely by you. It was really, really beautiful to, listen, to hear you say all those nice things and, and help honor the, the old happy day, uh, 50th uh, year. It's beautiful. All this is coming together in divine timing. This is going to be a fantastic event, and I know for some folks, they're hearing about this kind of last minute saying, what, what, where, what? This is really a great opportunity. You have pulled together a lot of top names, a lot of very talented people, and of course, you've been around this for years. Uh, You've worked with artists like Aretha Franklin, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, on and on the list goes. Now you're pulling it together to mark this 50th anniversary of Oh Happy Day, and it's going to be, I understand, not only a live concert performance, but folks that attend. It's just going to be a handful that will be allowed in. will also be a part of a special radio and television taping. Yes, it's just really beautiful. People out of, out of Florida have taken a special interest in what we're doing, and they want to tape it and film it for, for the people around the world to be, able, to be able to see and partake in. So it's really a wonderful time. Just a wonderful time of people who love Oh Happy Day, love that music of, you know, Get Together and Mahalia Jackson and all the things I'm trying to bring traditional, you know, loving music back and there's a, there's, a, there's a big love for it, and our singers are, you know, unparalleled. From Jimmy Tracy, who lives here in the Bay Area, and Nate Solson, who lives here, and Cornell Carter lives here, and uh, Julie Valente, who sings Get Together, lives here, and of course Rusty with the the the, um, the, the choir from the the Love Center Church, and, and a, lot, a lot of the great singers with April Hickerson, they all live here. So it's just wonderful for them to all come together and celebrate, you know. I love for God. We're, we're blessed here in the Bay Area. A lot of people think about uh, Nashville or L.A. as being the hubs of music, but San Francisco along has had a, a tremendous reputation in both secular and certainly uh, in gospel music for uh, being a key place for very talented people as well. You're pulling together, and I think it's important to mention this for listeners in terms of, of musical taste. Narada, I understand you've pulled together underneath the great gospel show not only traditional gospel music, very much like Oh happy day, but also a lot of contemporary artists as well. I love it all, and I just love that we um, pay homage to keeping the good spirit alive as we are in this year 2018. You know, we need to come together as a people stronger and you know, say goodbye to hate and anger and uh, racial prejudice and all these things that are dividing us, you know, from the, from the president on down. We want to come together as best we can. So I choose music that can inspire our hearts to reach out to each other. I choose music like uh, I Shall Be Released. I choose music from, I love the, Aaliyah, with, playing with Aretha Franklin. She does a great version of Bridge of Trouble Water. I do homage and tribute to her with that. So I just like just picking music that I know can kind of get through the cracks and the crevices and touch our hearts. When we leave, we feel, you know, um, uplifted. This is, this, this is the point. And having a gift of music, which I've asked God if I can have the gift, I'm very happy to have the gift. And then I, I want to inspire others to feel good with, 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 with this music. This is, this is my my mission and, and 
my purpose. And at the end of the day, Narada, there's nothing that draws people not only closer together, but closer to God than music. And all this will be culminating as uh, you're marking the 50th anniversary of the release of Oh Happy Day um, by Edwin Hawkins. And again, this will be taking place this Friday, that's June the 29th, from 7 to 9 p.m. at St. Brendan's Church that's located at 29 Rockaway Avenue in San Francisco. Now, let me mention, Narada's Great Gospel Show is uh, a special opportunity to hear a lot of great artists, enjoy a lot of phenomenal music, and be one of only 350 that will be available to uh, witness this special event again this Friday from 7 to 9 p.m. at St. Brendan's in San Francisco. Now, you can order tickets and get more information online, naradasgreatgospelshow.com. That's naradasgreatgospelshow.com. And you've really worked it out for very reasonable admission prices. General seating is only $20. If you want to get uh, a little special treatment on top of that for $35, you'll get guaranteed seating in rows 7 through 18, center section, plus access to a special after-concert meet-and-greet with the the entire team and Narada's great gospel show. And then, if you want to do something special, you got a loved one celebrating an anniversary, maybe you got a son or daughter that just graduated from school, and you want to show them a little extra love, premium seating not only includes rows 1 through 7, center section, and that after-concert meet-and-greet that I mentioned a moment ago, plus a pre-show casual meal and dining with Narada's Great Gospel Show team members. And that's just for $75. It's a great, if you bought tickets to a concert, you know what a great deal this truly is. Details available on the web, naradasgreatgospelshow.com. That's naradasgreatgospelshow.com. Any surprises you can tell us about, or do we have to wait till Friday? Um, I say just come to our show and partake in the love. This is, this, this is our greatest surprise. It's by having the love, you know, this is, this is what we need and what we're asking God to, to, to inspire us with is more love in our lives. So we can be more more grateful for the life that we have. Absolutely. And a great way, again, to mark the 50th anniversary of the release of Oh Happy Day. All right. Our thanks to Narada Michael Walden for being with us. Details again on the web, naradasgreatgospelshow.com. That's naradasgreatgospelshow.com. Right now, because you know me and Narada's a great guy, we're going to give away a pair of tickets to enjoy the show. And uh, we're going to give this away right now. Uh, two sets, is this two sets, right? Or just two tickets? Two sets. Two sets, the man says. All right. Two sets. Callers number 11 and 12 at 888 That's 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. Again, winner will receive a pair of tickets to the Narada's Great Gospel Show this coming Friday at 7 o'clock in San Francisco. Be caller 11 or caller 12. 888 F-O-R-K-F-A-X. <laughs> and we're off to the races or something. All right, let's see what's going on here. Maybe not much of a race on the uh, highways today. If you're stuck in traffic, it may not feel like a very happy day for you, but hang in there. Things will get better. Let's find out how they're doing now with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.